Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. Chowan again, and I am stoked to have Scarlett Magdalene with me. How cool is that name? She actually is, and I wrote it all down because I'm just like, whoa. She is a polytheist. Um, she was in the Golden Dawn, OTO, and there's like a level two or something attached to it. So uh, she's a blue star neophyte. I'm so excited to talk about what all that means. Yes. And she is a, and I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but I'll try. Cathonioi? Cathonioi Alexandrian. Cathonioi mm, Alexandrian. This sounds super Greek and awesome. And um, she was part of Druid organizations in the past, uh, pan-Indo-European groups. She started off in ceremonial magic, but then she went into traditional pagan witchcraft which is kind of the opposite of what a lot of women, they do when they start off in magic. So she has a super diverse past in terms of her magicking. She writes amazing articles on, I'm gonna totally butcher the name of this website, but is it Patheos or Patheos? It's Patheos, right? You know, I'm honestly not sure. I've been pronouncing it Patheos, mm -hmm. but I could be wrong. So yeah, Patheos Pagan. Okay, Patheos, yeah. Um, I'll definitely link to those below. Um, there are very practical articles about how she works financial magic, um, her advice on what to do if you would like your magic to be more effective. And we're talking about not just candle spells, not just intentions, but actually using magic as a science, as a technology. And of course, it's so incredible to talk to another woman who does magic. <laughs> Especially <laughs> ceremonial magic. So welcome, Scarlet. Thank you. Hi. Okay, let's start off with Golden Dawn. What is Golden Dawn? All right. So uh, Medic Order of the Golden Dawn, um, just to briefly cover its history, it's a fairly well-known ceremonial magical order, uh, mostly focused on uh, theurgy, and by theurgy, uh, magic for spiritual purposes. Is it kind of like and a fraternity yeah. slash sorority for magic? Is that what it is? That's actually very similar, very similar kind of structure. The whole idea of initiating, you're, you're initiating yourself into a body. There's a, an acceptance period. You do stuff. It's um, not dissimilar, actually. I, I think, you know, calling a fraternity is actually pretty apt. Hmm. So would Golden Dawn be similar to the OTO? What is OTO? How is it similar or dissimilar to Golden Dawn? Um, it's not a teaching order. It's more of um, a spiritual organization devoted to the teachings of Crowley. Um, they put on a, a Gnostic mass, which is a beautiful rite. They usually hold, you know, you'll have local bodies to hold it for the public. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's very, very lovely. If you're used to, if you actually belong to a more um, 
structured, more mainstream religion or had that in the past where you attended a church, there was a mass. It's not terribly dissimilar, but there's a lot more um, magical and esoteric symbolism in it. It's very, very beautiful. Yotio, they have their initiations. It has their own alchemy, their own spiritual alchemy, but it's not um, a teaching order per se. They kind of rely on you to, to you know, go off and do the thing. It's really about teaching Thelema more than anything else. So, What is Thelema? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, Thelema is this entire philosophy started by Crowley. It's a very Dionysian philosophy, but um, it's also really a philosophy about uh, basically um, doing, you know, finding your true will and fulfilling that. Golden Dawn is more, I would say, multi-denominational, but at its inner aura, its core is more of a, a Rosicrucian style. Mm-hmm. So while they do have a lot of Christian, Jewish, and pagan elements, I would say Thelema is definitely a lot more um, um, unashamedly pagan. When I think of ceremonial magic, that's one of the things I think of. It's women being used as sort of like, you know, like the, the naked chick holding like the, the dagger, sort of like eyes wide shut, you know? Um, and the yeah, dudes yeah. like in, in like hoods and robes, like doing some sort of like crazy whatever it is. May I have the password, please? Fidelio. Um, and a lot of women may be really intimidated by that. When I first joined, I was pretty fresh out of college. I had looked up these groups when I was in college and made up my mind that I was going to try to join one once I got out. And I did. Um, and that was the first Golden Dawn group I belonged to. And it was uh, it was an interesting experience, to say the least. Um, I discovered that um, the outer groups and I attended um, actual gatherings when I got to people locally, the gender balance was pretty equal. Um, it's just, obviously when it got to leadership, I felt like the, I felt like voices weren't being necessarily being heard. So it was this weird sort of dichotomy where you, you'd, you'd go there and you'd see the social and you'd see like the, the outer body. And there was obviously a relatively good gender split, but, um, the governing of the order as a whole, I noticed that the voices gravitated towards the men. You mentioned that you, um, your main thing is sort of like polytheism and the Hellenistic gods. Um, how did you find all that? It's kind of funny. Um, I would say it's a combination of a personal experience and I just kind of fell into it. Um, my dad was uh, very um, accommodating. He was very supportive of me and my, my spiritual search. Um, he also knew that there was weird stuff going on with me. Um, Wait, what weird I, stuff? Weird <laughs> stuff going on with me. Uh, basically, uh, psychic, to, long story short, psychic crap runs in my family. Oh, okay. And um, coinciding with around 12, 13 years of age, I found some books he had and things like learning how to see auras, like, you know, doing energy work and this, that, and the other. And I was experimenting with all this stuff and weird stuff was happening. And my mother realized something was going on and she has this whole parochial school background. So she was kind of freaking out a bit. And my dad had to pull me aside and said, you're not crazy. You're my daughter. And so he went and talked to me about his experiences. Always had out of experiences, this, that, and the other, um, psychic stuff runs in his family. And he started buying me books on, on magic. And he first, the first book he bought me was living Wicca by Scott Cunningham. I was 14 years old and they bought, went on to buy me Wicca guys without practitioner um, witchcraft for today, which is another Cunningham book. He got me Dan Fortune's Psychic Self-Defense. 
Michael Sharner's uh, Michael Michael Harner's Way of the Shaman, and just was very you know he said you know I just want you to go out and be a good person. In fact, I remember he said to me, uh, if you go in the backyard and you paint rock purple and you tie a pink ribbon around it and you're worshiping to become a better person, I, I don't care. I, I really don't care what you do. But if you go to church and <laughs> you become a hateful person, you know you become a bigot, you're mean. I'm going to care. Obviously, this is not having a good influence on you. So his concern was just, you know, go and be a good person. I don't care what you do as long as you're a good person. This helps you. I grew up as a hardcore atheist. Like, oh, wow. Hard... That's actually how I started out. I started out as an atheist and I went to polytheism. <laughs> That's okay. Like, I, I got to admit that as a recovering atheist, right? Yeah. And I use that word recovering because there's still a strong strain of atheism in me. When I hear stuff like polytheism, I have problems just with accepting that there might be one monotheism. Right? I actually have a meme, and it's from South Park. And it's a ski instructor meme, the blah, 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 if you do this, you're going to have a bad time. And one of the memes that came up was, if you take the Greek myths literally, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> they are not meant to be taken literally. I think a lot of stuff gets lost in translation. So I usually tell people... Um, yeah, the myths aren't like a bad starting point, but to really genuinely understand the religion, the attitudes towards the gods, the beliefs of the gods, you kind of have to, you have to move away from the myths and actually read the writings from people who lived during ancient times, read Plutarch, um, read Herodotus, read Euripides, read the plays, you know, get, get more into um, other stuff, other voices. Do you feel that they are actual intelligent separate entities or is it just psychological? I feel that they're actual genuinely uh, intelligent entities. Like how, how do you know that they're separate entities? How do you know? Well, I could get into personal gnosis for that. Okay. I can get into personal experience for that. Uh, I could get into personal, like, shared experiences with with others. I can get into theory, which is fantastic. I've had enough experiences with um, death and the dead to have a sense of, you know, there is definitely something out there. In fact, when I started messing around with um, psychic stuff, it I started having experiences, I started having dreams, I started feeling stuff. Like feeling something like like large and looming beyond myself, outside myself, and that couldn't couldn't put a name to it. Didn't know what the heck it was, and I started questioning my atheism really, really hard. I'm like, I don't know what the heck this is, but I don't feel comfortable calling myself an atheist anymore. I feel very uncomfortable. There, I I feel like I may be overlooking some larger reality out there. Um, and I, I think the idea and the notion of the concept of God, I think there, there are definitely a lot of layers to that. I think there's something to be said for the stuff that exists that, you know, where the, uh, the gods can, you know, essentially govern over the idea, you know, the notions of ideas and archetypes, et cetera, but they aren't strictly that either. What you know, there's what you know, and then there's what you think you know. We can like discuss this ad nauseum, but the point is, is that there is a gap. There's definitely some sort of gap between what we can measure materialistically and what a lot of people, and obviously all your life, you could feel. Right. But there was something beyond just what your five senses 
could um, intake. And that makes me wonder, like, I never had any psychic experiences growing up. Can I magic? You know, like, I, I don't think I have any natural abilities. See, that's the thing. There's, there is natural, and then there's what's taught. And I've actually had uh, conversations with people over this because I think there's the idea that, oh, if you're born with it, it's just somehow naturally better. And uh, my response to that is no, it has its pluses and it does have its drawbacks. Um, part of those drawbacks is, you know, you, you don't know, you don't know what it's like on the other side, unless you undergo a severe traumatic incident that kind of shuts you down for a while. And then you're like, oh, this is what it's like. Oh no, fuck. <laughs> Learning how to do it yourself means you, you, you know how to do it. You can explain to people how to do it. You could communicate better with other people who have not done it. And um, I, I think be able to understand them more and have them understand you more. Um, part of my struggles growing up was that I was essentially isolated. And I didn't really meet people like me until like I knew like a handful of people at most in high school. And then I went to college. It was like, oh my goodness, with all these people, and they're all like me. Ah, oh, this is so cool. Has that happened so, to you? Like in your life where... It, your natural ability is to shut down. Would oh yes, shut it down. Super traumatic. Uh, shut down. Uh, it was a good couple months. It was not fun mm. at all. <laughs> it was a pretty freaky experience. I, I gradually got out of it, but um, it, it it took a while. And um, when it was going on, I remember you know thinking to myself, oh, this is what it's like on the other side. I knew I was spoiled. Mm -hmm. Now I really know how spoiled I am. I had no idea how good I had it. I had no idea. Um, so it's given me a greater sense of appreciation, I think. Like, not that I wasn't appreciative, but now I'm like, whoa. Now I really understand how good I had it. Some yeah. things that maybe you took for granted before. like, And when it shut down, you're like, holy shit. I had no clue this um, was not normal. Yeah, my intuitive faculties, my ability to um, be able to get stuff weighted in my favor. Um, I know even like Jason Milligan talks about in his book, um, I think I've covered it actually in my review in my blog post, but the whole idea of um, magic being something that essentially um, changes the odds in your favors and influences outcomes, it's about influencing. And this was something that I figured out how to do from a relatively early age, like I'd say like around sometime, like maybe like a few years, like coming out of puberty, um, onward. And then just, you know, practice it, got better at it, got better at it, got better at it. Um, and when I didn't have that ability anymore, it was, it was weird. It, one of the best things I learned how to do was how to do the thing because knowing how to do stuff intuitively like you, you, it's kind of hit or miss because you don't know how it works. Like you're, you're driving the car. You've no idea how the car works. The car breaks down. You don't know why. Um, you just kind of do stuff and, and you know, and, and you get like good results, but it's not the same as knowing how to do the thing. Why, what you're doing is working when it doesn't work. Why isn't it working? Being able to debug it, troubleshoot it, um, equivalent of flat tire. What the heck is it? what's going on. You don't even know that your tire's flat. You just know you're having, you know, ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. Um, and I, I really think that's the overall difference, like being able to uh, provide any degree of, of structure that you can be able to repeat 
Um, I, they always, people always recommend, oh, keep a magical journal, write stuff down. I'm like, I hate writing stuff down. But once I started doing that, I'm like, oh, okay, I can kind of understand why people write stuff down because, you know, it is good to note things. It is good to take, you know, take note. Okay. What did I do? What was, how was the request reported? Okay. Um, okay. I see what the problem was. My request could have been worded a lot better. I screwed up there. So like stuff like that and just like in keeping note of that versus just, you know, blindly going off and just, you know, just kind of doing some kind of, uh, you know, kind of hodgepodge kind of thing that you, you can't repeat. You don't know why it's working. You don't, when it does work and you don't know, why it's not working or not working to the extent that you would like it to. After, you know, like your natural abilities, they kind of shut down for a bit. When you decided to go back into magic, you decided to do the Abramelin ritual. I'm sure that there's people right now listening being like, Abramelin, you know, right? Like they've never heard of it. And yeah. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty out there, you know, in terms of rituals you can do. I mean, it's fucking hardcore. And uh, the first time that I heard about it, I was like, oh, what? <laughs> like, to me, I was just like, knowledge and conversation with your holy guardian angel? What is this, you know? I mean, society is so tainted with um, Judeo-Christian religiousness. Okay. That we, we kind of, like, take that holy guardian angel thing and we're just like, oh, you mean that little guy who's over here and the devil's here and now you're going to, like, talk to, you know? That's not it. Some little like. fluffy dude with cute little wings. And I'm like, ah... Right. Not quite. Your blog, it actually was a journal like every day, right? For months that you documented going through this ritual. And I think you're the only female that I know of who's gone through that ritual. I mean, tell us more about what is this Abramelin thing? I needed to do some positive stuff for myself on a regular basis. And so it helped a lot. It helped a lot. And I actually started looking around that time towards going to do the Abermelon and this is like around 2010 and I forgot for what reason I did not do it that, that's following spring I don't know I think I got in my own way but eventually I think like around end of 2013 beginning of 2014 I said you know what I feel like I need to do this and basically I'd heard about the operation for a few people I know of one other female who has uh, gone through it I think she's done it twice actually she's tried the there's actually two different uh, versions out there um, for two different translations. Um, one is from McGregor Mathers. And the other one is, um, I hope I don't pronounce his name, uh, George Den. And each one from different manuscripts. And one is a six-month operation and the other is an 18-month operation. Um, I decided to get both of these translations. I read them both. I took notes. I, I started preparing, um, getting everything together. And I figured, okay, well, I'm going to do six months to start. But I feel like, um, I should leave this open. Like I should basically say to my angel, if you want me to do this longer, I need to cook a little bit more. I'm going to cook a little bit more. I'm not in a rush. I want to get this done. I want to get this done right. Why even do this? Um, people do this for a multitude of different things. I think for, for some people, the idea is, um, you know, uh, the idea of theurgy, spiritual magic, Basically, I want to improve myself, not just spiritually, but also magically. I also have the theory that the idea behind this was for people, um, had the whole conversation of natural versus taught. There are a couple different ways you can come into becoming open. One is to, you know, the absolute hardest way imaginable, and that's through trauma. It's the fastest way, 
It's a fast approach. It is the more painful approach. Um, the most gentle approach is unfortunately the slowest approach. It's through regular, consistent meditation and study and just opening yourself up gradually. And I think that the opera melon was designed to basically more or less do just that. So that when you get to the final week, you could be like, okay, um, you know, so you, it's triggered, you know, you get all this, like you get this, you know, you get down and dirty and you're like, yeah, I got to do this fasting thing. And you know, you isolate yourself that entire week and you're basically putting yourself into a week long altered state of consciousness. So the idea is, okay, at this point, hopefully this will, after all this preparation, everything I've done, the slow moving, yada, yada, it'll pop me open, pray to my angel, I'll reach my angel, I'll, I'll enter into that, um, essentially that that communion, that, that connection, and that angel will help me with my magic from here on end. If anybody wants to see like a day-by-day journal, they can go on that website. Oh, yeah. And yep, it's all tagged, it's all under category. Um, I've hit it up to people, a lot of people in the past because, um, I think I know of maybe two other published diaries out there. Um, when I first decided to do it online, it was, uh, it was for a couple different reasons. One was just, I kept seeing so many people, you know, just again, just below the right, just totally out of proportion, just, just craziness. Um, and I would get people who'd never even read either the translations trying to tell me my approach was wrong. Like, I'm like, you've never even read the text. How do you even know? Like, they knew nothing about it. They just, they just think they knew. I had people like Aubrey Mellon explaining to me. It was just crazy. Aubrey Mellon explained. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. My journal entries, I kept them pretty um, free from a lot of extreme detail, but there were, there were some, you know, when I say, oh yeah, you know, it went well. That meant I was not in there screaming and freaking out because, um, you know, you're still going through your day-to-day struggles. You're still going through personal struggles. And it was the, the ritual itself and the entire process brings a lot of personal issues to work on to the surface. And I had a lot, I had gone through some pretty nasty shit. Um, doing these small things, these small positive things day in, day out, the repetition, the constant repetition. Um, I really think essentially, for lack of a better term, rewired my brain and helped me out a lot. I live alone, so doing this virtual wasn't a problem. I actually already had my own temple room space. So having a dedicated space just for entering in, basically being the oratory, just for, you know, entering in, doing the prayers, you know, lighting the incense, lighting the lamp, and, you know, and, and doing that in the morning, doing that at night. Later on, it's, you know, morning, noon, and night. And of course, I'd be at work, so I would just run into the bathroom basically. And I would like, you know, pray silently in my head. Like I actually went into a bathroom stall to do this. Um, I would be, I would do it in my car in the parking lot. Like I left it with no excuses. It's amenable to modern lifestyles. And yes, it it is. I I think people are overly intimidated by it because there's a lot of, um, for lack of better term, um, urban legend around it. People have elevated this ritual to the point of ridiculousness. It will make a magician walk on water and turn water into wine simultaneously. So they'll be walking on the wine. It will be vintage wine as they're walking on it. It's like, no, 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 but it's not like this. I mean, back in the day, this ritual was supposed to be the first thing you did as a magician, not the last. So I think a lot of people put it up in the pedestal. They have unreasonable expectations of it. And so they think, oh, it's impossible. I can't possibly do it. Um, I think if you're, you know, there's a couple of conditions, I think, would make it impossible if you have it, you know, if you've got a family, you got kids to take care of, 
um, especially if you're a single parent, that might make things a little bit difficult. Um, so in a situation where you've got roommates and they're, they're not exactly, you know, keen on your shit, um, that might make things difficult. Um, I think certain life circumstances might make things more challenging than others. Um, if you're not able to get your own space, I, you know, I've talked to people who like live in a studio apartment. So, okay, well, you know, you can like section off, you know, a part with like maybe like even like a curtain or whatever, just as long as it's sectioned off. And the only time you enter it, you're good for that. Right. So I've, I've seen, I've heard of people making it, making, um, amendments that way. I, I, I took the no excuses approach. I flat out told my angel, I'm going to do this my best of my ability. I'm not going to, I, I'm not going to get things perfect. If I, if I wait for things, get things perfect, I'm not going to get it done. I've heard from many sources that when people do the ritual, their life goes to shit. That's potentially going to happen regardless. If you do any kind of intense magical work, if you do any magical kind of work whatsoever, you're going to, you're going to fuck with shit. The whole thing of magic is you're going to fuck shit up. Like stuff is going to, you know, it's stuff, stuff's going to happen. Um, this ritual, if you've got a lot of personal stuff to work through. Yeah. If there's stuff in your life that desperately needs to fucking go and your angels like, this isn't serving you. It's going to go. Um, I went through three jobs while I had this ritual and once everything like all like kind of smoothed out afterwards, I've been a whole like somewhere around like, like six and nine months. Um, and he just came in full blast. I basically landed my dream job and I've been there for two and a half years now. The promised end result is that you will actually have some sort of conversation connection that isn't just like in your mind with right. your guardian angel or... Or, you know, whatever vocabulary term you want to use, your higher self, your daemon or whatever. Um, did that happen for you? Yes. Immediately? Um... I would, I don't remember on what day during the final week, because the final week was a blur. I actually journaled down. I didn't, I didn't post it online. I kept it to myself, but it's all in my little journal. And I just wrote down everything. When it did happen, it was very intense. Um, I remember the voice was surprisingly clear. Like I got everything. I got the name. I got the sigil. Um, I did this grind for that. I had this whole um, silver platter thing that I, I scribed into. Um, I got everything and it was just, uh, it was an incredible experience. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm going to guesstimate over the centuries, at least a couple hundred thousand people have done it. So it's, I'm going to assume pretty legit. I mean, you know, even from a totally skeptical point of view, if over centuries it's still endured and Lots of people have gotten some benefit out of it. There must be something. If there's smoke, there must be some sort of fire. I mean, that's yeah. just logical. So then the question is, um, so you did it. You got in contact with your HGA. You know, like, I know. <laughs> I'm jealous, right? Um, and also, I feel like it's something that I would like to do, and I think a lot of women would like to do. Do it. 
Yeah, <laughs> I would love to do it. And it's great to hear that it is definitely something that you can do even if you have a job. Um, yep. It may not be the easiest, but if you have a family, you it's not like it's going to be impossible. It's just going to be a little bit right. more difficult. And I think a lot of women, you know, they are uh, mothers and they do have to take care of families. So that's definitely part of it. Um, I guess for me, it's like one of the things that kind of keeps me away from doing it again is a sort of like aura of intimidation. It's like there's a ton of men that I know who have done it. Yeah. Not a lot of women. And I'm wondering like why that is. I don't know. I do know that in the original text, um, they basically say, oh, um, women shouldn't do this, but if they do, um, like, it's all these stipulations and blah, 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 and women shouldn't like, do magic in general, and it's like, there's a lot of sexism in the original text. You could pretty much toss it out. It's hilarious how the original text is all like, oh, it doesn't matter religion, you, could, you are, you could be Christian, you could be Jewish, you could be pagan. It explicitly actually says you could be pagan and do the right. Um, but there's like this weirdness around the gender thing. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it doesn't surprise me. It's, it's, it's a sign of the times. Um, women definitely were, you know, uh, not seen as being like fully, they were seen as being a lesser human. People fear women doing magic. People fear women doing witchcraft. It's like this whole sense of like, women are dangerous. We are dangerous and we must be controlled. And it's just 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 nuttiness you know like our, our vaginas are just terrifying <laughs> beasts or something that are just gonna like open up the mouth of hell i'm just imagining gaping vagina <laughs> one of the things i've noticed recently is the concept of witch aesthetic and it's often used by dudes to you know as a pejorative against young women who, mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you know, like at those like um, comic cons and stuff, there's like girls who love to come in and do cosplay. And there's yeah. lots of complaints about dudes saying like, you don't really know the characters. You're just going in because you want attention. You're just like dressing up. I'm just like, so? So a lot of criticism against young women who are coming in for the aesthetic, who are just into the crystals, Instagram witches, which is Instagram, all that stuff. I mean, I kind of started out that way. I thought, oh, this is cool. I see. A I see just as many guys doing that too. Like they get all into it. One of the things that perhaps, you know, like um, people say as a criticism against like, young women who are into the witch aesthetic, it's like, you want to dress the part, you want to go to the graveyard with a candle, you know, because mm -hmm. you saw it in the craft or whatever. But it's like, do you know the technology behind it? Nobody knows the technology behind it. And it's not just a, a problem with tradcraft. I've seen it in similar magic groups. People are, you know, I went to this wonderful talk um, by uh, Jennifer R. and Gavin Bone when I was over at the occult conference over in Glastonbury. Fantastic. And the topic was uh, basically like polarity, and they got into the whole notion of getting involved in energy work and learning, learning how to do the thing. And one of the, the quotes that stayed with me was, people were driving the magical car, but they didn't know how it worked. And it just kind of hit me that that's been my frustration with so many groups um, they either do things, either assuming you know how to do the thing, you're either going to pick up it intuitively, um, either they're not teaching it or they don't know how to teach it. And this is a constant thing. This is a constant thing in so many groups I've been a part of. Um, and very, very few groups I've been in actually took the time to try and teach that and do energy work. Like there's some magical groups I've been in, they've never actually covered really energy work. Um, Golden Dawn groups that were in, they never really covered it. And I don't think the middle pillar is enough. It's not. It's not enough as a ritual.
really good ones that are out there that I, I personally know of, especially, and I think a lot of people know of, are more along the Eastern philosophy. So is this, you know, is this, you know, is this some kind of like racist element underneath it where we're avoiding doing that because, like, oh, we don't want to, you know, do those kind of practices or something. Um, you know, it, I think it's, I don't think it's appropriate by any means, but I, I think, you know, if they have a technology and the technology works and it's going to help you to understand stuff, it's help you how to learn how to do the thing. Learn how to do the thing. I forgot what groups was like, oh, you know, was it useful to learn energy work? Um, you know, would it be useful to learn energy work, you know, or, you know, doing magic? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> please learn energy work. Like you're learning magic. It's going to make your life so much. Like, I, I think it's just so foundational. So once you got in touch with your HGA, how did that change your magic? Like we're talking about putting yourself into drive again. Were you on super drive after that? Oh my goodness. Well, not immediately. Um, that's one thing they do not prepare you for. Uh, I'd say about a good six to nine months afterwards was this dead quiet to the point where it felt like I hadn't done the ritual at all. And I was freaking out. And, uh, I talked to other people and apparently there's like a whole like kind of lull afterwards. And some of them are like, well, it's like kind of like your, your, your angel kind of goes into hibernation afterwards. And you're like, and I'm like, okay. So, after freaking out, I'm like, okay, let me just ride this out and just be patient. And I think it was like around, oh gosh, it was like around like month six, seven, or eight or so that stuff finally started to bubble up to the surface. And that point at end, it just accelerated. Like it was insane. Wow. Um, and I just, you know, I, there's definitely a difference in my magic. Uh, communication is easier. Um, Basically, I, I've often just dis I've discussed an occasion how um, the whole idea of magic being uh, making a connection and having this communication, and I've, I've compared it with like computers. You know, like you you you, you log it, you basically you make contact with the server, and then this communication. Like there's there's like a programming language there, um, which is why you know you have to be kind of literal with your, your your spell requests. It's it's very similar to like programming a computer. Um, <laughs> It's not unlike that in certain respects, but, um, I found that communication was so much easier stuff was, you know, stuff I used to struggle with. It was like the wheels were greased. Um, I don't have direct contact often. Sometimes they'll talk to me. Sometimes they'll tell me stuff. Um, it kind of comes in and out. I have some really funny stories about when he shows up in my dreams because it's, it's, um, I, I don't know whether or not he started out as being snarky or he picked up my snarky from me. Um, there's actually, I've actually compared it to a really, um, kind of a cheesy 80s sci-fi film, Flight of the Navigator. Anyway. I am a Trimaxian drone ship from... Trimaxian? Affirmative. Okay, I'll call you Max. It's easier. Max? Right. So I, I think in certain levels, the HA kind of does that a little bit with you, like not necessarily like becomes you or like that, like nothing weird like that, but I, I think on some levels it kind of take on certain traits or like they, they figure out how to communicate with you because part of the process is attempting the hell to communicate. And the best illustration I've ever seen with it is another fictional medium, the TV show Supernatural. Cares. We've talked about this. Personal space. My apologies. Season four, when Castiel first shows up. It's an awesome season. He's this angel. He's in a body for the first time. 
and he's trying to, you know, stuff that we think is intuitive, he's like, uh-huh. and stuff that he thinks is intuitive, we're like, the fuck? Right. So and then you see that, and you realize, oh, that's why you're having a difficult time communicating. And I think part of the process is figuring out on each end, like, not just you communicating with Angel, but your Angel has to figure out how to communicate with you. It sounds like this HGA is sort of like, sort of like yeah. that guy who's like, who knows everybody, you know, like, you know, you know that one guy who's like the perfect Little man is actually a yeah. really good way of putting it. It's that whole, that whole sense of the human and the divine. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, there's all these layers in between. And it's a lot easier to access the layers in between and go there and pass it through versus trying to go all the way up there. Dealing with the divine, what's, you know, they're a big picture, you know, they do with bigger stuff. Um, you know, you needing to get that parking space immediately so that you're not late for that appointment may not necessarily <laughs> be known to, you know, be like immediately intuitive to, you know, a God versus say like a go between. Okay. Now I'm starting to see like where that would be useful because I know just, my role, like, I have these two friends, um, they're in a relationship, but one's Korean, the other one is um, from Canada, and I'm Korean-American, so I often act as the go-between in terms of, like, if there's misunderstandings, I'll be like, oh, you know, I think what he really meant was, you know, like, I'll try to act as mediator because I understand both cultures, I speak some Korean, I obviously speak English, so whatever's lost in translation, I can sort of provide that link. After like we all hang out together, like my Canadian friend often told me, you know, I didn't see it that way before, but the way that you explained it to me in a way that I could understand, now I get it. Now I understand why he is the way that he is. And so yeah. that kind of sounds like what the HGA serves as. Yes. Yes. And of course, part of getting that up and going is that the HGA you first have to learn how to communicate with. Right. And the HGA has to learn how to communicate with you, but once once that starts to gel and that process is, you know, is underway, it's you know, it, it take it, it, it takes off from there. I'm not gonna say that, oh my goodness, it suddenly becomes perfect. Um I'm not gonna say communications are ever perfect. It's it's an ever evolving process. Super stoked about this because now I'm just like, bing, got it. Like that makes so much sense. Having like that sort of um, cultural and language translator. Of course, yes. I used to have a relationship. Like it's not like my two friends, the Canadian and the Korean, who like I hang out with. If I didn't know them, I'd just be like, why are you coming to me to tra-? You know, it's like we have a relationship, and I know both of them. That's why I can serve. Yes. Right. Yes, and a huge part of that is establishing that relationship with a being that may or may not have much interaction with humans other than you. You may be that very first, first contact (laughs) for your angel. (laughs) And And your HGA wants to get to know you, right? Wants to hang out with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, As far as I can understand, it is a volunteer gig. No one put up some kind of metaphysical gun to my poor angel's head and said, you have to tolerate this crazy person. And she's a handful. And I actually remember being in a temperament, especially like towards like the third phase of the operation and saying things like, I am a pain in the ass. But the good news is 
I am willing to do the work. I am willing to become less of a pain in the ass. I'm willing to work on my shit. But I am a pain in the ass, and I know this. You straight up told your HGA, listen, I'm a handful. Yep. My bad. Apologize yep. in advance. I'm a handful. I've got issues. I know it. I'm, I'm working on them. Um, and I, I think that goes a long way. And it's just, you know, um, dealing with that whole communication thing. I mean, the way that you talk about spirits and a lot of other um, magic people talk about spirits that I feel like is quite logical and makes perfect sense is that you are developing a relationship with them. It's not like you have to, like, kiss their feet and be like, oh, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. It's actually a, a relationship that's based on respect. Yes, and it is. It is a symbiotic relationship, and what one thing I've discovered is universal is they are willing to work with you if you're willing to do work. Like, you're going to be sitting on your ass, and you're going to be like, yeah, give me extra fries, and like, you know, and you make promises, and you don't keep them. They're not going to be less willing to work with you, but if you're willing to do the work, and you're willing to like be like, yeah, I'm going to progress, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it as I need, they like that. They'll, they'll help you out. I've read at least two or three articles that you wrote okay. that's about actually doing the work and what that entails. And um, one of the things that you wrote that I really resonated with was sort of like the idea of just the daily discipline of feeding an altar, of not just calling on the spirits when you need sort of like when you're bored or you need like a favor. Don't be that friend who just calls like somebody out of the blue just because now you broke up with your boyfriend and now you need somebody to talk to. No, no, no. Yeah. Talk to your friend like a couple times a week, you know, still maintain a relationship. Um, and that's how you build just basically any sort of cool, healthy, respectful bond with anyone, human yeah. or spirit. It's, it's definitely reciprocal. Um, relationships, I mean, even within my own faith, relationships with the gods are reciprocal. Like the relationship between parents and their grown kids like you know the the notion of going out and doing your thing and doing your best job and they look down and like yeah look at them go they're doing the thing i'm so proud and you know and, and you know they, you're using the gifts that they gave you in order to do that but if, if for some reason you, you do legitimately need help you can still give them a call and be like hey so and it's it's I, I, I like to think of my religion as a religion for grown-ups. One of the things that I also read from you that I also resonated with um, was that you don't have to use your sexuality as part of your magic. Being told that, like, my religion should, my, my spirituality should basically focus on my being a breeder and be inherent upon physical bits mm -hmm. to define me and my gender... Um, even the whole concept of the, the maiden mother crone stuff is all based on women's status as a breeder and it doesn't resonate me. It's never resonated with me. It just, it just seems like so much emphasis on we breed, we breed, we breed, we breed, we breed. And what, what's in what, how we are and what we're identified as is being associated with, with breeding and this, this concept of the physical bits mattering to gender and this, there's a whole lot of baggage there to unpack, you know, not just from, you know, coming from the perspective of 
you know, not wanting to have kids, not being all that interested in sex and relationships, couldn't care less, or even to people coming in who are genderqueer and trans, you know, obviously that's not going to speak to them. So it's really, um, there's just so much baggage surrounding the notion of just, um, I mean, I think it's part of it is our culture. Let me, let's face it. Our culture has massive, massive fucking issues with gender and sexuality, hardcore. And that permeates everything. So I can't just say, oh, this is a magic problem. This is a trap. Oh, I can't. It's just a cultural problem. It's seeped into the traditions that we have and the beginnings of traditions of so many of the groups that we've been a part of. And while it's good to acknowledge our roots and learn about things and why we did them the way we did them, I think it's a good thing for us to evolve. Tips that you would give to a young woman whether she's cis female or trans um, who's trying to get into uh, ceremonial magic? Um, I would say don't be intimidated by the, the crazy amounts of um, book lists and reading and grimoires. I first started out collecting grimoires when I was in college. That's actually what got me into ceremonial magic. I found this one grimoire, which somebody was like, it kind of fell to my lap accidentally. I found it, um, the bookstore didn't even know how they even had it in stock. It just happened to be there. And it was just ridiculously cheap price. It just sold it for like eight bucks or something. But, um, I knew this guy, my jury group, and he just kept, you know, Oh, like, you know, he had it on his shelf. that don't, you know, he had warned us away from it and it's dangerous. And, da, 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 da. and there's like, like all this scare stuff around us. When I saw it, I was in my friend I'm looking at her she's looking at me and I said, well, you know what? Better in my hands than somebody else's. So I just bought the thing. And I remember reading through it and I found this one spell that I wanted to do, but like, I didn't understand how to make it work. I understood that like, when I was from reading it, there was obviously all these bits and pieces that ex had expected to me have more knowledge about certain things than I did. So it's actually what made me like look out like, for, like you know, and, and join groups during the Golden Dawn. Um, I think it's best to start off like doing a peer exchange, talking with people who have already done this stuff reading blogs online, um, reading through rituals online, you know, yes, you know, and, and, and get into, yes, yes, get into books, but also figure out basics, like learn basics first, like, like figure out, you know, uh, you know, figure out, you know, things like, you know, just general foundations of magic, like just, you know, get, get your hands like dirty in that first, because otherwise a lot of the stuff looks really, really intimidating. There's all these crazy sigils, it seems like a lot of memorization. You've got all these names and it just seems like so complicated. And there's some groups I was in that just be madly in love for doing rituals for hours on end in the desert heat in these crazy robes, these black robes, near air conditioning. And with the idea of, I guess, the more you suffer, the greater the magic. It doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> it really it doesn't, doesn't have, have to be, be that, way. that way. So I, I think the idea is like, don't be intimidated. Talk with people. Like, talk with peers, talk with people who have actually done the stuff. You don't pair your beginning with somebody else's middle. You're going to meet people, and they're like, oh, my goodness. Like, she seems, I've been doing this since I was, like, 13 years old. <laughs> don't compare yourself to me. Um, there's some stuff which I only managed to fully, like, realize and digest over the past, like, you know, eight years you know, it's, or even like the past three, you know, there's, it's, it's going to be a constant learning, constant growth. What are three songs that you feel describe your magical life and why? Okay. Yeah. 
Um, I actually thought of five. Okay. So I'm going to give my top three and then give the honorary two. Yeah. Um, one song I would definitely have to say would be uh, Wild Child by The Doors. Not your mother's or your father's child, you're our child, screaming wild. Okay. It's, a no, it's one good one. Um, the other one is uh, Euphoria by Delirium. And another is uh, The Garden by Rush. There's a couple different elements I practice. One is, you know, you, you do have the you do have the ecstatic experiences, you do have the uplifting, you know, oh my goodness, like the total like awe and joy and wonder. And trying to capture that in a song is often kind of hard. Um, I thought of uh, Steve McQueen by M83. As another excellent one, as a, a nice good runner up. And then there's also um, also the necessity of basically that the kind of that 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 sort of freedom, yet that difficulty in letting go, because so much of the process. I mean, as magicians, like you're like willful and getting it done, but it's a very paradoxical kind of practice because you have to. It's this weird sort of balance, especially when doing magic that I found between being projective and having that focus but also at the same time being receptive and and for that reason i also like um tim impala's let it happen that's another good one coincidence but i just did a music reaction video last week with that oh. song exactly tim impala has a, a very 70s psychedelic kind of vibe that's modernized into a way that feels really seamless Nice! <laughs> yeah, let it happen. It's great also to hear from somebody who is female, um, someone I can relate to, uh, that you've done ceremonial magic, you've done um, things that a lot of women do feel intimidated to try, and you're able to do it, and it wasn't like it was like perfect, and it was super easy. I mean, you put in work, and yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with putting in work, and I think a lot of women, they're for whatever reason, a lot of magic today tells women, if it's work and it's not pleasurable, then don't do it. Like, it should be super pleasurable. Does your uterus feel great? Does your clitoris tingle? <laughs> yeah, like... I, um, no, my uterus does not feel great. It's that time of the month, man. <laughs> right. So it's sort of like, I love the idea that it doesn't have to be super, like, easy and flowy. Sometimes, you know, it's okay to have more of that yang energy. And to go forth and to try these things. And it is paradoxical. You know, how do you be both projective and receptive at the same time? It's like, you know, how do you do that? Um, but so much of magic is that. It's yeah. the crossroads, right? Both figurative and literal. I mean, that's where the magic happens. That explains why I'm constantly surrounded by all the liminal deities, actually, now that I think about it, like Hermes Nakate. I do love with crossroads deities. I don't know what that, I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> well, guys... Tell us what you think about um, ceremonial magic, about whether or not you guys also want to try 
getting in contact with your HGA. What is it? Knowledge and conversation? KNC. Knowledge and conversation. And the Aubramelon is not the only way to do it. It's the most well-known way of doing it. Mm -hmm. And I, it, it does what it's designed to do. Um, there are other ways it approaches. Um, there are people who have achieved that knowledge of conversation who did not do the Abramelon. Totally legit. It is not the only road. So if you're feeling like for some reason you can't do operation, you have legitimate stuff in the way, um, you know, research, you know, there's, there's a number of different like texts online. There's some essays and really good stuff. Um, the section in Anthology that was put out on the Holy Garden Angel and that I know um, Rufus Opus was actually a part of that along with various other people. And they all talk about their experiences. And I managed to get that. I think it was like, so during my second phase, so I was doing the Arbor Mellon, it actually came out while I was doing the Arbor Mellon and I got the book. So it came in at a good time. But uh, that's, another, that's another excellent work. I definitely recommend that. Lots of very, very good um, essays in there. You know, read that for inspiration. Um, so there's more than a way to do it. You might find it challenging, and that's what usually what produces the so-called dark nights of the soul, blah, 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 the intense emotional work. You know, it's work. It's all work. It's going to be work no matter what. Um, you, 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 choose, you choose your work, and sometimes you, you can't, and you just got to do it. Point is like whatever you can do, do the thing. Like whatever you, whatever it is that you can do, do the thing, and don't be held back by um, expectations, feelings of it not being good enough. The fact that you're doing something still is greater than zero, no matter what. Just do the thing, get it done. Thanks, Scarlett's advice. Do the thing. Yeah, do it. Just do it. Do it. Just do it. Do it. <laughs> do it. Do it. Do it. Yeah, we're excited. We're both excited for you to do the thing, right? everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off.